Good morning, New Life Manitou Springs. Oh, come on now. It's springtime. Good morning, New Life Manitou Springs. Good morning. A special Sunday. Tom, would you wave to everyone? It is Tom's 77th birthday today. Praise the Lord. A pillar in our congregation. They're going to be serving communion a little later. Uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, that's why the, the seats are a little different. Maybe you noticed. Maybe you didn't. But we're going to do communion by walking forward. We have an open table a little later. Uh, but this is the season of spring, and we're headed towards uh, Resurrection Sunday, or as some people call it, Easter Sunday is just two Sundays away. We'll have services at 930 and 11, so you don't want to miss those services. It's a wonderful opportunity to invite people. We'll have plenty of space doing the two services. We'll talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, the Sunday after that, here's one more announcement for you. We're going to do baptisms. So that'll be the 16th of April will be our baptism Sunday. And if you're considering baptism, if you've been saved for a long time, I've been following Jesus for a long time and you've never been baptized or maybe a lot, I know a lot of people were baptized as a child or as a baby. And they're like, this is my faith now. I want to declare it. That's one of the meanings of baptism, a public declaration that you are following. Jesus. So we'd love to baptize you. What we do after that uh, Sunday is we go into the parking lot. We have a big uh, like trough and we fill it up with really warm water and it's really sanitized and we baptize people. And so if you're interested, there's a sign up uh, online or in, on paper in the, on the back table there. And one of those links has a little thing for talking to your family, your kids about baptism and what that means. So if you have kids who are coming of age where they're, they're making faith their own, we'd love to baptize kids as well. So let me announce today what's happening. Uh, we're concluding. We've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. We started in January. We've been talking about Jesus' sermon to us, his, his wonderful teaching. It's his longest teaching in the text of Scripture that Jesus has for us. Today, we're going to conclude that teaching because next week is Palm Sunday. We'll wave our palms. That'll start Holy Week. The week after that is Easter. But today, we have a very wonderful, awesome guest speaker who this is their first time speaking at New Life Manitou, although I have heard her speak a couple times and she's amazing. So a couple months ago, we were doing a series in First Timothy. How many of you remember that? Any hands? Oh, I see a couple hands. Good. Good memories. Good job, church. And, and one of the passages in First Timothy is about women in ministry. And I talked an entire sermon about the theology behind women in ministry and women sharing the gifts that they have. And we have a woman today who has some gifts, communication, preaching, and most importantly, sharing the word of the Lord with us. This is someone who knows scripture. She wrote a poem for every psalm in the Bible. She wrote her every, what? Every chapter of the whole? Every chapter of the, I thought it was just the Psalms. Every chapter, she wrote a poem. So she has the pen of a poet, the heart of a preacher, the spirit of a prophet. Would you welcome to this pulpit, Jordan Victoria Lewis. <laughs> oh gosh. Hello friends, good morning. It is a delight to be with all of you today. 
Um, as Joe mentioned, um, I have been around New Life for a little bit, um, and I'm one of the pastors at the Friday night congregation. So it's always fun to get you just take a little 30-minute drive to be here with you all in Manitou. Um, so, and also, good morning to my family. My parents are here. Hello. <laughs> my nephew, my sister. Good to see y'all, friends. Amazing. As Joe mentioned, um, we'll be concluding the Sermon on the Mount series, and I will be coming from Matthew 7. So if you are able, please stand with me for the reading of the word. We will be in Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23. You can open it up in your Bible, or it'll be on the screens. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And all God's people say, uh-oh, that does not sound good. <laughs> uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that your spirit is here. God, I know that I am the one who gets to declare the word, but we all know that if you do not speak to each of us individually, any words spoken up here are null and void. So God, I pray that you would stir up our hearts, open our minds as your word is declared from this side of the room to the other side of the room. May you make a tent for yourself where you can be revealed and glorified. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw people closer to the Father, and that at the end of this time today, we would have the Abba Father cry in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we're, we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount, and basically what the Sermon on the Mount is, is Jesus's first sermon and declaration to the Jewish people. So Jesus, you know, was was born, he was doing his thing for 30 years, and then he comes out and has all of these things that he is saying to this crowd of people um, at Mount Sinai, right? And you would think, okay, you know, it's his first sermon, um, so he's going to say something nice and, you know, be soft and gentle and, you know, not stress anybody out. But we're talking about Jesus here, okay? And he came to turn the entire world as the Jewish people know it and as we know it upside down. So the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5 all the way to Matthew 7, it's three chapters in Matthew, is punch after punch after punch, shock after shock after shock, right? You think about um, the Wright brothers, okay, where they found a way to fly. You know, it wasn't done before, but they found a way to do it. You think about um, Ella Fitzgerald, the great jazz vocalist, who figures out how to change her voice and do different things and reinvents jazz. You think about whoever found out that coffee beans could be turned into a drink for everyone to enjoy. That person is in heaven for sure, right? Like, this is what Jesus was doing with the Sermon on the Mount. He was taking everything that they knew and turning it on its head. So we have Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, where Jesus is blessing everyone who should not be blessed. Blessed are the poor, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, right? This is just right out the gate. Jesus is just 
changing the way people think, right? We have Matthew chapter six, where Jesus is talking about religion and how people do their religious duties, right? We get into Matthew seven, where if, you know, Matthew five miss people, Matthew six miss people, Matthew seven is a shock to the heart because Jesus comes for everyone's souls, okay? So that's where we are today. But I don't think that these verses in Matthew 7, they seem shocking. They seem kind of mean. It's like, did Jesus have an attitude that day? Like, what do you mean? You know, like, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, and depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Like, that sounds harsh, right? But I don't think that's what was happening. I think that it was an invitation from Jesus to challenge self-righteousness in people, which was a major issue of the day. At this point, the Jewish people were trained by the Pharisees, right? They were the religious leaders. And they were all going according to the law. You think about when you follow the law, you have to figure out what the rules are and make sure you don't mess up and be super focused and like going the speed limit, which I never do. But if it says 35 miles an hour, right? It's like they were like, okay, we have to go 35 miles an hour or else, you know? And Jesus was challenging hey, like, yes, there are these rules, there is this law, but I came to, the, to fulfill the law and to do something a little extra, right? So Jesus isn't being harsh or being mean in these verses. He is challenging people to kind of get out of the nest, if you will. So when we're approaching this text today, let's think about it like this, okay? So Jesus is reinventing how people thought, um, but there is a way that we can approach the text where we kind of have to do something a little different. We have to think a little different. There's a movie called Ready Player One. Has anyone seen the movie or read the book? Okay, great, great, great. Um, So I have not read the book because I'm one of those people, but I did see the movie. So in the movie, um, everyone um, kind of plays this game, this video game. It's a virtual reality. Um, But so the movie starts where the person who designed the game decides that he wants to retire but he wants the game to keep going, so he's gonna give his entire empire, if you can call it that, away to whoever wins this challenge that he puts in the game, right? So the main character, you know, is along with everybody else, like we want the power, we want to win the game and take over this whole thing, right? So the first challenge is a race car track where everyone has to race to the end, you know, and get to the finish line. But at the finish line, there's a giant kind of like gorilla thing that keeps popping up and crushing all the cars. And no one knows how to get around it. They're like, if I go super fast, I can get around it. Or if I, you know, kind of get out and fight this thing, I can get around it. But no one is able to win. The main character says, hold up. The designer of this game doesn't think like everyone else. So maybe I need to think a bit differently in order to win this challenge. So, you know, it's okay, everyone's trying again, they get to the start line for the race, and the main character thinks to himself, instead of going forward like everyone else, what if I go in reverse and go backwards? And so everyone else, you know, the light turns green for go, everyone goes, and he starts putting his car in reverse and going backwards. It's kind of like, you're going the wrong way, like what is your deal, don't you know how our racetrack works? But sure enough, as he's driving backwards, uh, the you know racetrack opens up and there's a portal, if you will, where he can go under the track. So he sees everyone else above the track struggling, trying to get around, but he goes underneath it, pops up at the finish line and is able to win the first challenge and goes on to win the game. I think this text, how we can approach it, is almost like putting our cars in reverse and going backwards. 
So there are two things I want to do today. Number one, I wanna talk through the text verse by verse so we can see what Jesus is doing and how he's challenging us and the people he was talking to. And then the second thing is I want to uncover what the invitation I think um, Jesus is, is saying. So let's go through uh, each verse. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. So let's talk about God's will. Let's talk about God's will. I think this first verse is where Jesus is challenging lip service versus heart posture. Again, he was talking to Jewish people where all they knew was to follow the law. And if I do the right thing, then I will get into heaven, right? If I say the right words, if I just say, Lord, Lord, like a magic password, then I'll make it, right? But from Genesis to Revelation, there are all these scriptures about how God doesn't just want lip service from us. He wants our hearts. There's a verse in Isaiah 29 where it says these people, talking about his Jewish people, these people serve me or honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Like think about in your own lives where people will say nice things to you, but you know that they talk about you behind their back, behind your back. Or where people will say, oh yeah, I'll do this. You know, you take your car into a dealership to get it fixed. Oh yeah, we'll do this and this and this and it'll cost this much, right? You get your car back and you check it and they didn't do what they said they were going to do, right? There is this disconnect between saying something and actually doing something, right? And so in verse 21, Jesus isn't saying, you don't have to call upon the name of the Lord. He's just saying, yes, you have to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, but also you actually have to do what God is asking you to do. That's what this verse is talking about. But God's will, it kind of seems a little vague. Like what is God's will? What is God saying, right? God's will, there are dozens of verses about God's will. So God's will is things like taking care of the poor, honoring your father and mother, being loving towards your spouse, um, doing the right thing, abstaining from sexual immorality. So it's not enough just to say, oh yeah, I know God, I'm a believer, right? You also have to have some fruit, bear some fruit that shows that God is working in your heart, right? I think about, you know, I'm not athletic at all. So if I were to go down, to, you know, in the Colorado Springs, there's the Olympic Training Center, right? If I were to walk in and say, I'm the next Simone Biles, right? They would say, well, can you do a backflip? Can you do anything on the bars? Like, can you do any floor exercises, right? They would need me to prove that I have the skills to back up what I'm saying. And so this verse in verse 21, Jesus is basically saying, do you have the skills to back up what you say? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only he or she who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, right? So someone may say, okay, great. I, um, I don't just get to, you know, say the magic password and get into heaven, fine. But I do stuff. Like, I, I you know, know what God's will is. So in verse 22, Jesus challenges that. Verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name, drive out demons, and in your name, perform many miracles. So it's not just God's will that we have to talk about, but it's also God's way. 
So earlier um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking to the people and he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so, or he talks about um, in chapter six, where all the religious duties that they do, he's basically saying, you can't just do that stuff to make sure that you look good to other people. So when you fast, don't look all decrepit and sad and talk about, woe is me, I'm fasting, so that you seem very pious and righteous. He says, when you pray, don't be all loud and use many words because you think that you're gonna be heard by the Lord because of that, or seem super righteous to your friends and those around you because of that. He talks about when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. All of these things, is Jesus saying don't fast? Absolutely not. Is he saying don't give? Absolutely not. Is he saying don't pray? Absolutely not. What he's saying is don't be self-righteous in your actions because you think that you'll get approval by God or because you're trying to look like you're better than other people. And when we think about this in our own lives, I mean, we have Reverend Dr. Joe Kirkendall here, where it's like, well, surely if anyone is righteous, it's the person who went to school, the person who leads a church, the person who, you know, is doing all this stuff, is doing things in the community, where it's, are those things bad? Of course not. But if Joe, Joe is very humble, but if Joe was saying, oh, well, I'm better than all of you because I have all these things, that's where the issue comes in. So in verse 22, Jesus isn't saying, don't prophesy. Of course not. Jesus prophesied. There are all these prophets, major and minor, in the Old Testament, right? Jesus isn't saying, don't cast out demons. Jesus cast out demons. He was the one who the demon said, have you come to torment us, right? This is this guy that we're talking about. Jesus isn't saying, don't do miracles. He performed many miracles. What he's saying in this verse is, don't try to do all these things to puff yourself up and to make yourself look righteous, right? But we think about God's ways. We, look, we get to look at how does God act, you know? I think about the prophet Elijah, where Elijah, um, it was hidden in the cleft of the rock, and a flood passes by, but God wasn't in the flood. The fire passes by, but God wasn't in the fire. A huge windstorm passes by, but God wasn't in the wind. God was in the still small voice, right? So here we have this all-powerful being, and we think, oh, like God is gonna show up in this big, powerful way, and he does do that, but also he's able to make himself small and show up in the quiet of our hearts. I think about Jesus, who, I mean, everyone was like, the Messiah is coming, and he's gonna, you know, crush the Roman Empire and take over, and we are going to be, you know, mighty people, right? But Jesus comes as a baby, Okay, not only does he come as a baby, but he is just doing his own thing for 30 years. Then when he finally shows up on the scene, it's the most um, unassuming, unexpected thing ever. He doesn't come with an army. He comes with 12 apostles and all the lepers and all the sick people, and that's what Jesus' is ministry, right? Then he dies a humiliating death. And so we think about, okay, well, I don't have to do all these powerful things, but what does that look like? You know, what does that mean? How do I show that I belong to God? But at the core, there is a difference between being impressive to others and being pleasing to God. There's a difference between being impressive to others and being pleasing to God. 
So when we think about what we do, whether we prophesy or, you know, drive out demons or whether we volunteer, you know, 40 times a year or whether we serve the homeless people in the ministry or whether we have, you know, an education and get extra degrees or whether we do things for our families, all these things are great in and of itself. But we have to think about, am I being pleasing to God or am I trying to be self-righteous, which is what Jesus was getting to. So then it's kind of like, okay, people are panicking at this point. Like, okay, I can't just say, Lord, Lord, but also I, I thought, you know, if anyone's going to go to heaven, it would be these people who were doing these amazing things. But at the root of it, knowing God's will and knowing his ways, in verse 23, we get to the root, I think, of what Jesus is talking about, where he says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This seems severe, but this is where I think the invitation is. So we know God's will, we know his ways, but also we get to know his walk. I think Jesus is implying you can't just use God's name or invoke his power. You have to know him. So think about your favorite musician or athlete or scientist, right? You can know their work, right? You can know, oh, so for me, I love music. One of my favorite musicians, her name is Kimbra. She's from New Zealand. So I know where from, you know, what city in New Zealand Kimbra was born in. I know the date she was born. I know all of her albums. I have multiple t-shirts from her concerts. I like know, you know, who she's collaborated with, right? I am a Kimbra fan. The millennials say stan, okay? It's like, I know all the things that I need to know about Kimbra. But I do not have Kimbra's number in my phone. I cannot grab my phone and text her right now and say, hey girl, what's up? Hope you're having a great time at that festival that you're at, right? Because I may know things about her, but I don't actually have a personal relationship with her. So the, the Greek word <clears throat> that Jesus used is gnosko, which means to experientially know through personal experience, to know through personal experience. And the question is, does God have personal experience with you? Do you have personal experience with the Lord? Think about it. There are things, so, you know, many of you may own homes or if you're in an apartment, you have a maintenance person. They may come in and do something like fix your toilet for you or fix your plumbing or fix your sink, right? They may do something for you, something really valuable. But you may not invite your plumber or the maintenance person over for dinner. You wouldn't call them at 11 p.m. to say, hey, I'm having, I had a hard day right? If you're in friendship with them, then sure, and they happen to be your plumber. But for the most part, it's, it was a transaction, right? They did something for you. It was valuable, but it's not an intimate relationship where you know them. And this is what Jesus was getting at. He was saying, you can't just say the name of God and just do all the stuff that you think makes you look cool. I actually want to be in relationship with you. I want to have personal experience with you. I want to know you and I want you to know me. And that's what he was getting at. So we have this, this picture here of these three verses where when we take a look at them, actually, it's Jesus pushing out the self-righteousness, pushing out the going through the motions, pushing out the you know, you can't just talk the talk, you gotta also walk the walk, right? Because at the core, what God wants from us is not 
none of you should be in heaven, see you later, suckers. That's not what the Lord is doing. He's saying, no, I want you to be with me, but to be with me, you need to be transformed and there needs to be substance and evidence that you actually know who I am. So we have God's will, his will, the desires of his heart. We have his ways, the fruit that, of our hearts that he wants, the substance of his spirit working in us, and we know his walk. We have personal experience with him. So when we take what Jesus was actually saying and flip the text upside down a little bit, maybe it could go something like this. Those who have a personal relationship with God will get to be with God. They are the ones who walk with God and accomplish the desires of his heart. Those are the ones who belong to the family of God and will be with God in heaven. So at the core, you don't need to have the right words or have impressive actions. The invitation is to have real relationship with God. At the end, God wants what we all want, which is friends. No one here wants to have a friend or be a friend where you, you are fake or where you're only transactional with your friendships. You want a real relationship with the people in your life. And that desire comes from God himself. We're made in his image. We were made for relationship. We were made for union and communion with God and with each other. So at the core of these verses, it's God wanting real relationship with us. And so at the root of all of this, we get to be a friend of God. There are lots of verses in scripture about friendship with God. So, you know, there's a verse, Psalm 105, where friendship is with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him, those who respect God, right? Talks about how God and Moses would talk to each other face to face as a person talks to their friend. Jesus says, um, you know, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends because servants don't know what their master is doing, but you're my friends. You know what I'm doing, right? There are so many verses about walking with the spirit and keeping in step with the spirit. There are verses about how when the spirit comes into our hearts, it's not this transactional relationship with God, but it's we become his children and God becomes our father. So there's this real relationship that God is inviting us into. But how does that work? It's like, okay, I can, I can get past, you know, just talking and I can actually do something that is God's will um, and walk in his ways and all of that. But what does that look like? I think there are two major things, um, and I'll just put it this way. Time and humility lead to transformation. Time and humility lead to transformation. So when I think about spending time with God, it's you know how you would spend time with your friends or your family, right? Part of it is gratitude, so expressing thanks to God, where when we have gratitude in our heart, it turns our attention from ourselves onto the Lord. Think about reading scriptures to learn about God. So not just getting through your devotional to make sure that you don't get in trouble that day, but really stopping and saying, okay, God, what does this word say about you? What, does your, what do the scriptures say about you? And then we worship to adore God, right? To say, God, you're good. You know, Erica and the team led us in beautiful worship where we got to turn our attention off of ourselves and put it onto the Lord. So that's time with God. But I also think there's humility in our hearts right, where Jesus was addressing this, you know, self-righteous, you know, posturing where, well, I, I know you and I'm doing all these amazing things where he's saying that's not what's required 
right? A contrite heart is what's required. Knowing, oh, Jesus, I need you. I need to be in relationship with you. Or I can't figure this out on my own. I can't do this without you. So having a humble heart before the Lord is a way where Jesus comes close to us and we can be in real relationship with him. So time and humility lead to transformation. And at the end, um, I can say as the worship team can come up, um, Psalm 15 says, who can live in your tent, Lord, and who can dwell on your holy mountain? The person who lives free of blame, does what is right, and speaks the truth sincerely, who does no damage with their talk, does no harm to a friend, doesn't insult a neighbor, someone who despises those who act wickedly, but honors those who honor the Lord, someone who keeps their promise even when it hurts, someone who doesn't lend money with interest, who won't accept a bribe against any innocent person. Whoever does these things will never stumble. So when we think about real relationship with the Lord, I think Psalm 15 isn't just a picture of um, how can I be close to God, but it's when I am close to God and when I'm in relationship with him, these are the things that are transformed in my heart. And I really feel as I was praying and preparing for this, that Psalm 15 is a picture of all of you at New Life Manitou. I don't think there's anyone here who's just talking the talk and not walking the walk. I don't think there's anyone here who is just calling on the name of the Lord and isn't actually asking themselves the question of, am I really being honest about my relationship with God or am I being hypocritical? I think there are people here and I think there's something on this congregation where y'all are not the people who are going to be separated from God, but y'all are people who are going to be with God and will be drawn into his presence. And as you are, these are the things that will come out of you. And these are the things that I believe are already working in your lives. So you don't need to be a powerful, self-righteous person to make it to heaven. You just need to be a good one and you need to be a humble one. And I think that's true of all of you. So thank you. Amen. Let's thank the Lord for Jordan's word to us. <clears throat> Would you stand with me? The communion servers can come forward. Let me give you some instructions. At New Life Manitou, we celebrate an open table, which means that if you hear the knock of the Lord on your heart and you open the door to him, well, then you can come and you can eat with him and he can eat with you. And so an open table means if you believe in Jesus, you can come forward for communion. You don't need to be a member here or uh, of New Life Church. We welcome you to come forward. And new to all of us this morning, we're going to come through. We're going to come towards the middle and we're going to come down the main aisle. And then we're going to go uh, kind of back around to, to your seats. If you get lost and you're not sure which way to go, just come to the cross. That's true for communion. That's true in life. We're going to come through the lines and the communion servers are going to say Christ's body and blood for you. 
and you can receive it and go back to your seat. You can say amen. You can say hallelujah. You can say thank you, or you can just humbly receive it. We're doing this. We're, we're kind of doing this motion, and, and we're going to start doing this as a church. It's been a long time because there's something very... Um, I guess, mysterious about the walk that we do in church, walking to the center, walking to the cross, receiving, not taking the the elements of Christ's body and blood broken for us, his blood shed for us. And so that's why we're doing this again. I'm very excited to announce that this morning we'll be doing this and we're going to keep doing it through Palm Sunday and Easter and on, that walking through this line is a spiritual journey. And I I pray you'll receive it like that. So what we'll do, come through the lines, get your elements, come back to your, your seats, remain standing, and then we'll take them all together. Let me pray a blessing over us. Lord, we receive from you. Your word says that on the night you were betrayed, you took bread and you broke it. You said, this is my body. You took a cup and you lifted it. You said, this is a cup of a new covenant. Blood, his blood. We, we believe that you, Jesus, your blood was shed for us. So Lord, we come forward in faith to receive your body and your blood broken and shed for us. Amen. Let's come forward.